You're listening to Marvel's Voices, and I'm Anjali Rocher, but I am not your host this week. We actually have a very special guest host who is a consulting producer on Marvel's Wolverine, The Lost Trail, and was also actually a consulting producer on the first season, Marvel's Wolverine, The Long Night. Here we go. Hello. So Harry actually got an opportunity to interview the voice actor who plays Maureen on this upcoming season. I did. So you're here today because you've been working on a super awesome project here at Marvel dealing with the first scripted drama podcast amazingness involving one of our most beloved characters. Yes. Wolverine. Wolverine. For those who may not be familiar uh, with the first season, which was Wolverine Long Night, and now what is coming up very soon, the release of the second season, Wolverine Lost Trail, what is this project? Like, what is a scripted drama podcast? Well, it's just like any other story that Marvel tells just without any visuals. So we're relying on um, just audio to tell a Marvel and Wolverine story. And because it's a new medium, it made Wolverine feel like a new character almost. You know, we were translating this character from the pages of the comic books to completely audio format. And that gave us the ability to think about him in a different way. Which is pretty awesome, right? And uh, the first season was very successful. It even got some uh, recognition and award from iHeartRadio. And now we're on the second season. What has been your role with these seasons exactly? Uh, So I've been the consulting producer for both seasons, or one of the consulting producers for both seasons. And what that really entails is just making sure that the character Wolverine is the character Wolverine as we've known him for all these years and that the story felt like a Marvel and Wolverine story. So it's just reading the scripts, listening to the cuts and giving notes on what we think the character is. And that's such a really, really good segue into season two. The end of season one, we really got to see... Wolverine getting away and then he jets off to go find another trail on who he is and what his past is. Yes. But then we're picking up and he's back in the States when we resume our view into Wolverine's journey with Wolverine Lost Trail. Mm. So we're in New Orleans. How did we get to New Orleans and why are we in New Orleans? So Logan is in New Orleans because that's where he left Maureen and he's there to find her he's he's uh, heard that she's gone missing and he wants to to save this woman that he believes had uh, a strong bond with him and a relationship with him it's much more a Wolverine now being the detective versus season one he was the one being investigated yeah and I think that's really the the fun of it right is getting to hear this next chapter, but also getting to see all these other characters come to life. Yes. Including Maureen. Including Maureen, yes. Which is this very elusive character Mm -hmm. that was only kind of mentioned a little bit. Yeah, very mysterious. And so you actually got to talk to the actress, the voice actor who does Maureen. She seems amazing. She is, and like the thing that I was 
the most impressed and surprised about with the interview was that she kind of is exactly like the character in the show. I mean, you know, she has a background in music, which Maureen has, but she's also a coder, like Maureen. She's a caregiver, and so is Maureen to Logan. You know, so there's all these really precise parallels between her real life and Maureen's fictional life. So we go into a lot of her personal history and how that kind of helped her develop this really brand new character for this show into some somebody that is a complete human yeah. you know not just a one note character somebody that has all these nuances that is that are drawn from real life yeah. uh, and Rachel was really drawing from her own life oh yeah. man oh, alright you know what we could talk about Rachel all day but we should just let y'all listen for yourself that's right Um, hi. Hi. How you doing? <laughs> I'm well. Um, so why don't we start with your origin story? Just oh, like sure. Just like any other superhero, yeah. everybody has an origin story. So there's actually something that you and I, as well as the two um, legendary creators of Marvel, Stanley and Jack Kirby, all share, which okay. is that uh, we're all firstborn immigrants. Yeah, first gen. States. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> Why did your parents decide to leave Jamaica to come to the United States? You know, it's the same reason any family comes, to get more opportunity for their family, mm. you know. Uh, I already had four siblings uh, in Jamaica by the time they moved here in the late 60s, early 70s. And, you know, Jamaica is still a pretty tumultuous country. There's so much richness there, and there's so much pain and heartache there. Jamaica was one of the first stops on the slave trade to the Caribbean. Um, so with that comes a lot of political unrest mm. and there are a lot of natural resources in the island that have been mi- mined and, you know, pillaged and, um, but it's coming up. It's a fiery little country mm. and I'm ever proud, as I say, to be a Caribbean American. So growing up now here in the United States, mm-hmm. being a child of kind of two cultural yeah. in two places, yeah. how do you think that affected your identity growing up? Uh, Growing up, if ever I got into trouble, that was the Yankee side. Yankee is what we call Americans in the Caribbean, Mm -hmm. or at least in Jamaica. And if I did something great, you know, that was definitely the West Indian side. I like to think I got the best of both worlds. And to be able to grow up with multiple cultures is only a gift. And we see that nowadays. Um, But of course, there was a time when it could actually cause a lot of confusion. Identity-wise, you know, I'm still figuring it out. I'm still learning things about myself where I don't know how to place that and compartmentalize that. And, you know, as time goes, I realize maybe it's okay that I don't know how to label that and what cubbyhole to put that in. Maybe that's just what it is, Mm. you know. Um, Usually I'm reminded by friends, people around me. (laughs) I can tell if if I did something that's rather un-American or, you know. um, But it's a point of pride, definitely. So I I do know that your father... um yeah. Was Aww. an Olympic boxer, right, in Jamaica. Yeah. Um, and so I was thinking about this and how the story of the boxer in a ring mm-hmm. by himself yep. struggling against an opponent is kind of this really succinct metaphor that we can all kind of relate to. And it's a similar similar type of thing being an actor portraying a character on screen, right? Absolutely. Everything that's human is distilled into this one person. Yep. That somebody can watch and root for that guy, and yeah. I think that's that's part of the universality of acting and comic books and sports and boxing. I agree. Uh, do you think 
growing up with a father who was a fighter really affected your journey to becoming an actor? Absolutely. You know, I spoke to him a lot, those questions, what it means to be a fighter mm-hmm. and what it means to do a solo sport where you have to be your own team and you have to muster this superhuman strength. Yeah. You know, but at the end of the day, you're still human. Um, I think the athleticism, both mentally and physically, really trained me for what it means to be an artist, especially an artist in a world that is constantly evolving, constantly reevaluating what it means to be relevant and mm. valuable. My father was steadfast in everything he did. He, he invented the term extra, as far as I'm concerned. My parents were born extremely poor. Mm. You know, it's always interesting when we worry about money in this country. There are pockets of this country, of course, that are extremely impoverished. I grew up very comfortable. And part of the first-gen experience is being constantly reminded how blessed you are and how yeah. hard your parents worked. And my father was such a technician, and he was also a computer scientist. Once he gave, you know, oh, once wow. he gave up his uh, Olympic boxing days, he came to the States. My mother brought him up in 71, and he got on the ground floor of the tech, you know, a wow, huge coder. Great. Yeah, so my family, you know, have a lot of computer programmers. How in interesting. There. Yeah, yeah, so he used to run a boxing gym in the basement of our house and also a computer school on off nights. I want to touch on that later when we sure. get to your character in okay. Wolverine the Lost Trail because there is a lot of yep. that complexity there too. Absolutely. Um, but let's go back um, to your childhood for, for a second. Do you remember the first impactful memory or experience you had with um, arts and storytelling? Yes, I absolutely do. Um, I couldn't have been more than four years old. My mother and father took me to a church basement. I don't think it's that far from my same parents' house right now in Brooklyn. And a traveling theater troupe was coming in, and it was a Christian group, you know, and they were doing um, a Trevor Roan play. Trevor Roan is is arguably Jamaica's most celebrated playwright. And they were doing the play Smile Orange, or Smile Orange, as you'd say, if you have a Jamaican accent. And lights came up. And it was this gorgeous, dark-skinned woman who turned out to be, she was in charge of the switchboard at the hotel. And she'd pick up the phone and say, Mocha Beach Hotel, good Mm -hmm. afternoon, you know, in standard Jamaican English and be very proper, prim and proper and precise. And then she'd switch over the phone line and go, Wagwan me, is it? Tell me Wagwan. And she'd switch into Jamaican Patwa like that Ah. on a dime. And at four years old, I still spoke with, a Jamaican accent because I was only hearing it at home. Sure. And I thought it was the coolest thing that she could switch like that. And when she'd switch, people would applaud. People felt good about it. You know, um, I remember my parents taking great care to make sure that I sounded American. It was very important to them that I could pass for American since I was born here. They were very troubled that I had a sticky brain and could mimic any sound and sounded more Jamaican, you know. So that moment when she switched, uh, a few weeks later, we went back to that church because we went to some regular service. And as is my fashion, I was a little too curious. And I uh, went down to the basement by myself, probably wasn't supposed to. And it was all gone. They had struck the stage. It was as if that story had never happened. Mm -hmm. And that's still something that I think is so beautiful about the arts and about theater in particular, that you have this story, you can transform a space. And then as soon as you breathe life into it, it can blow away. Mm. and be on its way. Yeah, that was definitely my first memory. I became very intrigued. That's wonderful. Yeah. And there was something in there that stuck out. The, 
the recognition of this dual identity mm-hmm. from this person on stage or on the soundboard, actually. Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of a concept that is very very prevalent in comic books and the comic industry. So, Peter Parker and Spider Man, yep, right? Absolutely, totally. <laughs> it's this nerdy kid can't talk properly, you know, <laughs> to his friends. Doesn't doesn't have, even have any friends, right? Right. But when he puts on his mask and his costume, he's you know very witty. He yeah. left the building or whatever. Yeah. Why do you think having this dual identity is so representative of the, of the human experience? And also, why do you think it's amplified when you're an immigrant? These are wonderful questions. You know, I think humans are just so complex, and we're constantly having to wear different masks depending on what room we're in. And there's something about the dual identity that it's, it's beautiful because when you're on that balance beam, there's always this feeling that you're on the cusp of something, because you're constantly switching. You know, fear is a huge driver. The fear of not belonging is mm. tremendous. And that's something that we all struggle with, um, no matter your background, I think. I'm also an educator, so I see it in my students every day. Shout out to the new Victory Theater hmm. in Times Square. Very cool. Um, so I think that is something that definitely spoke to me when I picked up the comics. You know, my, my older brother, we definitely had comics, and I'd sneak in and steal them nice. and steal his Voltrons, too, because um, <laughs> you got to. And um, I think that's important. I think we're such complex beings that the comics, for me, have always been a springboard for giving myself permission to accept myself and sit back and dive into someone else's story and watch as they negotiate through their own identities. Mm. And, and root for them and see and take things from them. Maybe, hey, I'm going to try that next time. Or, oh, man, they should have done that, you know. And the Peter Parker one's great because nerds rule. I was on math team. I'm a oh, nerd. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because we have this idea of what nerds look like. And, and it's great to be at a time now where it's just like, no, we're there in all different forms. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. It's great. Um, and so speaking of this dual identity, you mm-hmm. kind of also had that in an official manner, let's say. <laughs> Uh, because you went to school for both political science. I did. And the arts. You did your homework. <laughs> I did, I did. Um, so, I mean, you know, these are two very, in the surface, very different things. Yeah, yeah. When you get down to the core of it, maybe it's not so much. It, it brings up this question, right, that, that I've heard both sides on. You know, what is the artist's responsibility to use their, air quotes, powers mm-hmm. in a certain way? Yeah. Is there a right balance between being an entertainer mm-hmm. and a change maker, or are they separate things? Well, I, I've always identified as a citizen artist. Mm. So I'm most interested in projects where my political background and my artistic background meet and take things to the next level. I do believe, especially in today's times, it's absolutely necessary that artists use their platform for good and to educate and to keep the pulse on civilization. I think since time immemorial, that is the function of the arts. Mm. And we have to fight to maintain that. Um, it's interesting because I, I struggled with it. You know, doing political science, I actually went to undergrad at Williams College and headed over to Paris to go to the Sorbonne because I was headed to The Hague. I thought I'd get a political degree and head there for, you know, international affairs and and, you know, I ended up going to Tisch, NYU, for the arts. And I don't regret a second of it. 
So what made you decide to take the path of acting and the arts? You know, it's interesting. I was over in Paris. I was studying at the Sorbonne and and I was um, obsessed with with abuses of power hmm. and tyranny and genocides. And I was studying Rwanda. It still stands hmm. as the most heartbreaking case study of what happens when when a populace is turned against each other, you know. Yeah. And. And I came back, I was coming back to a walk with my class and my friends in college actually <laughs> staged an intervention and they said, you know, Rach, you're, you're an artist in denial. You know, I was looking at political science PhD programs. I was looking, I was, I was interviewing with consulting firms and iBanks and, you know, and, and they said, Rach, you, you are an artist. You should explore that more. That's not just a hobby for you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I kind of auditioned for NYU on a whim. And I remember getting the call that I'd gotten in and I actually hung up at first because I thought it was a crank call. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's interesting how we how we condition ourselves and how we tell ourselves what we can and can't do. Yeah. And we kind of allow the world sometimes to tell us what our superpower should be, you know. I mean, I could totally relate to that because it's kind of this almost eerily similar to my experience. Um, and I think it does have something to do with growing up as... Um, I myself, I'm an, I'm an immigrant from the Philippines, Very so cool. um, I think it has something to do with that as well, um, where, you know, I wanted to make my parents happy because yeah. they sacrificed so much of That's their lives to come to this country. I wanted to make sure that I was making the most of it. And a lot of times you hear about the arts not being a viable avenue yep. for your life, right? <laughs> so I went to business school. Right uh, on. Graduated with... Um, a business degree, um, and here I am. Yeah, you know, uh, producing documentaries. So I think I think arts kind of has its way of uh, reeling you back in, even mm-hmm. though uh, even though you might you may have decided with your brain to go a different path. That's right. Sometimes the heart takes you a different way. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about Wolverine: The Lost Trail. Yeah. So uh, you play Maureen. Yep. And Maureen is a very complex character, mm-hmm. as we spoke about <laughs> earlier. Now Wolverine has formed a strong bond with mm-hmm. Maureen mm-hmm. Um, and she's gone missing and he's going to go search for her. Yep. So tell me how you first got introduced to the role. I got first introduced to Maureen through the fact that when things get hard for her, her escape is music, particularly mm. in the jazz realm. And once I learned that, you know, this was all going to be taking place in the bayou, I thought of my experiences in New Orleans. I still find that city to be the most hauntingly beautiful place mm. and my in with her was the fact that she has the left and right brain thing going yes. you know we yeah. you know it, it used to be easy to say you're either one or the other and I loved that I was able to just put this woman together as is you know she accesses all parts you know and and it, it really reminded me of my family because I, I think of my dad, I think of my mm-hmm. parents, um, right. and it was so easy to marry those two worlds with her, and also the fact that she, you know, she kind of has there's a bit of Frankenstein in there. She's created a monster yeah. because of her brilliance, and that she's able to strive for redemption and do everything she can really spoke to me. So I think that's super interesting that your father was this boxer mm-hmm. who became a computer yep. programmer. Yep. Um, and here's Maureen. Yep. Who's a 
who wants to be a musician, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but she is a computer programmer yeah. and works for WebNX. Yep. So how do you resolve that? Is it something that you look to your dad's experience for? And did it change once you got into a room with Richard or the rest of the cast, right? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, when I approach a character, I take every kernel of truth that I learn about them as law. And they're going to be they're going to be contradictions. And that's good because mm. people are inherently contradictory, <laughs> I find, totally. and complex. Yeah. So it was really easy to kind of put that mess together and let it live. And with regards to my own upbringing, I dug into myself when, you know, the first time I was learning how to code, you know, before it became this thing that everyone, you got to do it or else, you know, I mean... I remember weekends, you know, putting computers together, you know, with my older brother and while doing ballet on the weekends, while singing, while, you know, it's just, I don't know, maybe it's that immigrant thing. You just do it, (laughs) you know? You don't really question the currency of it. You don't really question, well, what does this mean identity-wise? So it wasn't so hard for me to get the in with her. I actually thought of my, my big sister, who is a brilliant, brilliant computer scientist, and, and the isolation that it brings being a woman, particularly a woman of color Mm -hmm. in a science world, in a world where, once again, all those accolades and all those triumphs used to be on a top shelf that people couldn't reach unless they came in a certain, uh, unless they were of a certain pedigree. So I imagine that her family was very proud of her. And at the same time that she does struggle with isolation, she is someone who loves to get lost in her own mind. And I... I feel that way because that's how I am. I love, I love spending time by myself. I'm definitely more of an introvert, you know, and that's something I have to balance being an actor and an artist. Um, so yeah, it wasn't it wasn't so hard to get into that aspect of her. I think the trickier thing was getting into the room with these brilliant artists and realizing, oh, this isn't just you know sitting down and talking the way you and I are. This yeah. is actually some kind of in between version of theater meets voiceover world meets, you know, and the kinesthetic response and awareness. I I hadn't thought of it until I got into the room. You know, in the green room, we'd talk and there'd be a bit of banter. And we all agreed that once you get into the room, something changes. Mm. And there's no way to really prepare for it. But once you're in there, it's it's gold. It's, it's you know, I won't say that X factor, you know, <laughs> but it really is yeah. of that concept of play constantly back and forth and, and trusting. And that's something that Maureen struggles with is trusting Mm. and sadly you know at times trusting herself knowing what she can now be capable of so yeah that's what i was wondering about because this is kind of uh i wouldn't say it's a new medium it's kind of like a re-emerging medium Uh right absolutely um i'm curious about what the biggest differences are for you as an actor between recording for a podcast Mm -hmm. and acting on stage and screen is it you know it's it's so much easier because you don't have people staring at you, you know, yeah. the, the need to look a certain way yeah. or, you know, to present. It's it's a beautiful thing. And I, I quite like it. I quite like that it it hails it harkens rather back to an older time, to a time where my, my parents were born in the in the 30s, the mm-hmm. early 30s in Jamaica. And they grew up only listening to radio and knowing Foley, you know, and the yeah. sound effects. What, what are you going to do? And, you know, to make things sound a certain way. And it. It gets back to the that creativity that children have, being in a bare classroom and saying, we're going to make a play today with whatever we have in the room. 
That's you know true. what? The younger you are, the more full that play is. There's no such thing as as there's not an, enough things. We can't build this world. So it kind of it kind of strips you down to that elemental storytelling, mm-hmm. which to me is the reason I got into theater in the first place. So right. it was nice to not have to be in tons of costumes and lights blaring in your eyes. It was great to just be in a room and play and see where it goes and fail big and then try again. Yeah, there seems to be like a spirit of experimentation. Absolutely. Right. Um, yep. And that's where creativity happens. When, when, you, when you're thinking outside the box, when you're not constrained to what you're used to. Yep. I think there's also a link there with um, with the relationship between Maureen and Wolverine, right? Yep. So here's Wolverine. He's kind of the closest you can get to an animal mm-hmm. while still being human, right? He's yeah. lost all his memories. He's struggling with his identity. Um, and then here's Maureen, who is literally trying to teach him how to be human again. Yeah. But at the same time, She's also struggling with the idea of caring for Logan mm-hmm. and wanting the best for him. Yeah. But working for this organization, Weapon X, that is literally like tra- just trying to screw with him. Yep. So did you draw on anything particular or did you and Richard draw on anything particular to portray that push and pull and the inter- intertwining of lives? Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's that you said push and pull, that, yeah. that feeling of being torn it's it's something that both characters deal with in on different differing levels. Mm. We would record a passage and then, you know, go to the corner and discuss, wait, what is this? You know, how do we figure this out? And and you know, the interesting thing is the bond, the human bond is something that is so strong that no matter what questions arise, you still come you can come home to that connection. Yeah. And it's tricky because Maureen often would go in and out. You know, there there are beautiful scenes where she, even out loud, is trying to figure out what is this relationship she has and, and what what is loyalty? Mm. And, you know, as a first gen, you know, loyalty is huge, you know? And, yeah. and what are you representing with your work? What, what choices, decisions, you know, to decide is just to cut one avenue off, right? So so it's something that I know I definitely wrestled with and I'm... I, I'm sure Richard also did wrestle with that feeling of when love comes in, right? Yeah. That scary, terrifying thing that we all want, but somehow can never handle it when it's right in front of us, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How do we how do we grapple with that, and how do we build a bridge and not burn it down too soon? Yeah, and especially in this supernatural yes. fantasy yes. world, right? So the other thing that you mentioned earlier is. Um, Visiting New Orleans, or mm. did you live there, or did you? Visit I visited. There? You visited yeah, there? yeah. Um, you know, this podcast is set in New Orleans, yep. which almost has its own little absolutely you know, atmosphere. It's, it's magical. It, sometimes it is a little bit mystical. Absolutely, right. And it fits really well with this type of story. Was there something uh, that you remember from visiting New Orleans that also kind of helped you in this role and helped you kind of envision what life would be like there? Absolutely. Um, you know, again, and all these characters have have moments of isolation mm. and calling out for help and, and having no one answer. It brings me back to the time when I was in New Orleans and I was working on a show there, but um, I had a friend pass on my way down there. Oh, wow. And I was left, you know, far from home. And all I could do was kind of walk around and look at the sky. Mm. I definitely have a high space cadet factor. <laughs> and the thing about New Orleans is you can still see the relics of slavery 
very easily. Yeah. You can still see a plantation. Right, right. You can still see the line into the Ninth Ward. You know, you still see class. And when it rains in New Orleans, I will say the first time it really poured there when I was there, I was terrified because mm. the sound of the raindrops on the roofs, you, it's, it's biblical. It's as if you're going to wash away. And all I could think of is I can't imagine Katrina. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You know, so there's something about it's 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 as if it's a time capsule of some of the ugliest parts of the underbelly of this country mm-hmm. and what it means for Marine to be in some nondescript place alone on the run, having someone look for her and either not care or not know and feel that you have to constantly be in hiding. But finding a safe space there through music, that felt very at home for me. Mm. So I definitely used what it meant to be in a place that is so carnal and um and vivid there's no, there's no place like it I, you know when people ask i'm like you got to go there yeah it's it's way more than just you know celebrating with beads right get right. get down on the ground there and talk to the people the stories the art of storytelling is something that is so is so vast and that's something that i'm very proud i've retained from my parents mm-hmm. you know um my father had met his grandfather maybe twice and his grandfather grew up as a slave. Wow. And the idea that you have to tell stories because you're illiterate, you can't write them down. Yeah. The only way to pass on your stories is through song, through dance, through telling them. Wow. So it's a heartbeat, you know, mm-hmm. and there's a rhythm to it. And every time we got into the room to record, we were able to kind of tap into that. And the fact that it was taking place in this jewel of a part of the country especially in juxtaposition to being, you know, the first season where yes. you're all the way up. And, and I've been to Alaska, too, and it's, it's amazing in a whole different way. It's so vast. It's yes. a frontier. And the majesty of the mountains and the nature and everyone there, you know, you just grab their salmon out of the water. And, and everyone there is just able to, to hold themselves up physically in a way that, you know, I'm, I grew up in Brooklyn, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm a city kid, you right, know. Right. So it's, it was an education all around. Yeah, I mean, it's so contrasted between season one and season mm-hmm. two. But I think that that brings out yep. uh, the qualities of Wolverine that you maybe didn't see in season one, but all you're going to see in season yep. two, right? Yep. And the aspect of music that you, you talked about, right? Yeah. New Orleans. Uh, just, uh, you know, music is such a big part of the identity of yeah. that place. Yeah. It's also a really big part of Maureen's ident- identity. And mm-hmm. I, I remember listening to one of the rough cuts, and it was the one where you performed that song yeah. at the bar. <laughs> I was, I mean, I love the song. Cool. I love the performance. It was incredible. Thank you. Um, and, and it really kind of showed that you had a kinship to this character because of the music. Yep. Because there was this connection of really loving music, really knowing how it works, really... Uh, growing up with it. Yeah. So do you think that kinship uh, made the role special for you? It did. Yeah. It kind of snuck up on me how similar Maureen's walk is to either my own or that of some of my family. Mm. I wasn't prepared for that. You know, often when you get a project, you think that you're going to have to maybe build a little bit, do do some heavy lifting. This is, you know, this is my first time working with Marvel and it's, I'm thrilled to be part of the Marvel family now. And 
you know, at first I said, I don't know, can I, you know, you know, we all have that imposter syndrome at times, right? We all, we all think, oh, we're not enough. We can't be part of a super something. And it was kind of amazing to just relax and let it organically grow. And that Maureen runs to music. You know, for me, music is what happens when, when words fail. You know, uh, I grew up, I was a Broadway kid, right? Mm. I, I did musical theater and, and I still love musical theater. And, and when you watch, a, especially a traditional musical, the songs happen when words don't have currency anymore. It's when the love or the hate is so big that it has to come out in song, yeah, sure. you know? <laughs> and so mm-hmm. that, that, that need, that hunger to rise above to a place where only music can exist where no one can judge you or reach you because you're in the stratosphere really spoke to me and actually helped ground Marine for me because I realize now I understand what she's doing in between the scenes where we don't see her. Mm-hmm. I understand how she might spend her downtime, which is really important in growing a character is getting that. You had mentioned that 360, you know, yes. that fleshed out character, you know, not just something on the surface. So that actually unlocked a huge amount for me and, it's interesting because my audition for Marine oddly took place in a hospital bathroom mm. because my mother fell seriously ill from the caregiving, you know. So I had two very sick parents on oh, my wow. hands. And I remember my my team texted me, hey, you, we haven't gotten your tape yet. And I'm standing in downstate medical center and I had to record. I said, all right, they wanted two jazz songs. And I went in and, you know, had thankfully for my iPhone, recorded two songs. in, And, you know, it's great acoustics in restaurants. I highly recommend it. After that, I was like, you wow. know, i got to rethink recording. You know, like, yeah, yeah. that actually worked out. That's but, an incredible story. Yeah, yeah. So you were, like, in a public restroom. I was in a public restroom. Wow. I told the security guard to just, you know, he was Jamaican. So I said, yeah. hey, well, I'm ready, you know. And I said, I'll be five minutes, you know, <laughs> just, you know, let, let me be. So I yeah. went in there and I came out and he was like, what's going on? Do, like, <laughs> does the production team know this? I don't know if I ever told that. My <laughs> managers, they're, they're used to my crazy audition stories, but yeah. they thought it was a hoot because yeah. they knew I, they knew where I was. And, and it was such a release. And music has always been a salve to me. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a hard sell to understand why it's yeah. such for Marine. I mean, you know, like, Whenever I, I read the script, it seemed as though whenever Maureen was in a place of struggle and yeah. confusion and, and not knowing uh, what to do with herself, it was always her turning to music, mm-hmm. not anything else. You yep. know, even Logan, you're, she's, yeah. she didn't turn to Logan. That's right. She didn't turn to Gambit. Yeah. She turned to music. Yeah. I think that's what was so powerful about that performance is that it's in a moment where she's incredibly confused yep. and that's kind of fighting with each other the song is almost fighting yeah. with her mind right? absolutely uh, i thought that was pretty incredible and, and i think it's very relatable relatable too because what do we do when we're when we're sad or yeah. when we're we turn to music we want to listen to that song yeah. that makes us feel that way or yeah. takes us out of that feeling uh, one or the other so i'm curious mm-hmm. what's in your playlist what Ooh, are you listening to i love that yeah. um Oh, what a great question. My parents, you know, exposed me to so much music. And then growing up in New York City, it was hard to run from. But, you know, I'm really old school. I love turn-of-the-century blues and jazz. Mm. I, I, um, I'm obsessed with Professor Longhair, who inspired the Beatles, and they played homage to him. Um, obviously, I love my reggae. Mm. My dad actually knew Bob, Bob wow. Marley, yeah. 
And it's a small island, you know. <laughs> and um, that's, that's and awesome. also, you know, I lived in Europe for a couple of years. I was living yeah. in Paris. So I love, I love French music. I love how political it is. Mm. I love that, you know, you can rap about your government and that's normal, you know, and a 13-year-old can list all the cabinet members because it's in a song. I love that. Um, I also grew up playing piano. I love classical mm. music, mm. you know. And um, I, I, I like a lot, actually. My... It's funny. My playlist is is ever evolving, as as yeah. you know. I think everyone's is now, thanks to things like Spotify and right. you know. Um, but this year, you know, starting actually last year, I started to rewrite because I'm heading back into the studio to record myself. Oh, cool! And um, which is exciting because now Super you know, sad. yeah. And um, and I I love jazz. I trained in jazz mm. in school, and when I moved over to Paris, I you know I I'd like to say I moonlight as a jazz singer when I was studying there. And the thing I love about jazz and the blues is you can hear you can hear the pain, mm. you can hear the running to being comforted, to you know to be comforted. And with Maureen, there's almost there are times when it turns into a maternal nature when she's with Logan because she her heart breaks. Yeah, and and it's something that the music kind of I told myself that Maureen perhaps harkens to a time when her mother used to bring music to her. Mm. You know, and, and as an actor, you have to fill in those backstories for yourself. Yes. You know, why is it why is it this kind of music? Why is, you know, how does she turn to this for someone who's so by the book and kind of binary and technical? How does this departure from what's expected to her, you know, expected of her rather fill in her soul? You know? Yeah. Why don't we move on to some quick fire questions? Ooh, wow. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. Let's go. Um, you don't have to be quick about it. You can think about oh, it if okay. you want. Um, <laughs> what superpower would you have if you could have one? Oh, wow. Mm, that is a good one. To heal. To heal people. To heal the sick. That's great. Yeah. I've never heard that, but that's that should be more that's, of an answer. Now, let's flip that and say if you did have a superpower, if somebody looked at you and said, this is your superpower, yeah. what would that be? Ooh, to know when to speak and when not to. Mm. That's a good one, too. <laughs> um, so let's end this with two questions. Okay. One, uh, what, do you th- what do you think is the best part of Wolverine the Lost Trail? Okay. And what do you think people will resonate with the most? Wow, that's beautiful. Um, I think the best part of the Lost Trail... It's interesting because it, when I think of it, I can only think of the the listeners, the audience too. It's like a, a package deal. Is the appreciation that you're only as lost as you allow yourself to be. Hmm. And that's something that's really prevalent when I think of when I think of the younger generations, particularly teenagers. Okay. Yeah. And last question. It's kind of broad. Sure. Answer it how you how you want. Uh, what inspires you, and what do you do this for? Aw, I like that question. You know, it might be selfish. It just makes me feel more comfortable with myself. Hmm. Yeah, it makes me it makes me feel closer to the version of myself that I'm constantly striving to be. I genuinely now feel that I. Am becoming a human who will have made my parents proud, and that—that that has always been a big driver. 
in a healthy way, you mm-hmm. know, and if there's anything that I'm doing that can resonate with someone and bring peace to them, mm-hmm. then I think I've done my part. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thanks. Thanks for having and me. Having a great conversation. <laughs> That's all. Cool. Yeah. That was easy. Yeah. Yay. I hope that wasn't uh, too much grilling. No, it was no? great. You're oh. wonderful. Thank you. Have a good first time. Thank you so much to Rachel and Harry Go for such an incredible conversation about Marvel's Wolverine, The Lost Trail. I'm actually mega excited about this, not just because I was a consulting producer and I already know what's going to happen, but because I know that this is such an incredibly rich story that involves so many incredible characters that we know and love in the Marvel Universe. So make sure that you are tuning in for the release of Marvel's Wolverine The Lost Trail coming out March 25th on Stitcher Premium.